Here's Anne Graham Lotz. Are you ashamed of the suffering in your life and saying, well, if only if I'd done something different, if only I had done this. We're so glad you've joined us today. You're listening to the weekly broadcast of Living in the Light with Bible teacher Ann Graham Lotz. And today, Ann answers the question you may be asking, what can I do with the bad thing that's happened to me? Here's Ann beginning in 1 Peter chapter 4. Do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. There's nothing strange about suffering. Everybody suffers. It's not just Christians, by the way, that suffer. Everybody in the world suffers. It's just that when you're a worldling and you suffer, it's wasted. And you don't have a sense that it has any purpose or meaning. You and I as believers have the blessing of knowing when we suffer, God can bring blessing from it and glory from it. That our suffering when we give it to God is not wasted. That it has a purpose and that it has meaning. Stop being astonished when suffering comes into your life. Bad things happen to good people. Did you know that? Did you think if you did everything right, did you think if you were the perfect wife and loved and adored and revered and respected and admired and enjoyed your husband and did all of this that you would win him? What happens when he walks out on you and says the last thing he wants is a Christian wife? Are you surprised? Are you astonished? And when you're the perfect mother and you do everything you know what to do as far as raising your children to know and love Jesus, and your child at 16 hits the road and he goes on drugs and he gets involved in all sorts of horrible things, are you surprised? Are you astonished? Did you think if you did everything right, your life would be good? Did you think if you were good and you lived a life pleasing to God, things would fall into place and no suffering would come into your life? Peter says, wake up. Don't be surprised when bad things happen to good people. Bad things do happen to good people. Stop being astonished. Stop being offended. Have you been good? What bad thing has happened to you? Your health? Your family? Your marriage? Your husband's business? Something bad's happened to you in the church or in the community? Are you offended with God? Like the man who asked, well, where was God when my son was killed? And the reply came back, exactly where he was when his son was killed. God understands human suffering. I don't have the answers for suffering, but I know this, that God in his flesh, as a man, Jesus, has suffered more than you and I will ever suffer if you took all of the suffering of all of our lives and put it in one moment, it wouldn't even come close to what Jesus suffered. He has suffered in his flesh. He understands suffering. And if ever there were bad things that happened to a good person, it was when the cross came into the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. Don't be offended. Through suffering, God reveals his glory in your life. And if ever there was a bad thing, it was the cross. If ever there was... Human sin revealed at its peak. The wickedness of the world all summed up in one action. It was when the common creature crucified the Creator. But look at the glory of God that's revealed at the cross. The grace of God. The love of God. The mercy of God. Dear friend, 
if he can bring glory out of the cross, what can he do with a bad thing that's happened to you? He can bring glory and blessing from it. Would you choose to live for his glory? Even when you're suffering, can you even thank God for allowing the suffering to come into your life because it gives you the high privilege of revealing Him in a very real way to the people around you. Live for His glory joyfully. Verse 13, rejoice. You're participating in the sufferings of Christ so that you can be overjoyed when His glory is revealed in you. There is no sweeter fellowship, no more intimate relationship with Jesus than the fellowship of his sufferings. When you enter into the sufferings of Jesus Christ, when you do everything right and you suffer, and you understand just a shadow of what he went through for you, or when your church or other believers turn on you and they treat you unlovingly, and maybe they do things not only unlovingly, but really hatefully, and they treat you in a way that is anything but Christian, you understand the fellowship of the sufferings of Jesus. He was put to trial by the religious leaders of his day. He understands that kind of treatment at the hands of religious people. He understands rough treatment at the hands of the world, what it's like to be criticized by the world and to face the hostility of the world. And when you face that kind of hostility and that kind of criticism, you're moving into the fellowship of his sufferings. There is something very intimate, very precious, when you enter into the fellowship of his sufferings like that. So Peter says, rejoice. Live for his glory joyfully. Live for his glory righteously. Verse 14 Make sure that when you're insulted, it's because of the name of Christ and not because you deserve it. Verse 15, if you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or a gossip or even a meddler. You need to be suffering for righteousness' sake. Sometimes people will criticize us or sometimes people are hostile to us and we deserve it because we've been behaving obnoxiously or we've been ugly ourselves. And Peter says there's no glory in that. It's when you're living for Jesus and you're treated that way, that's when the glory is revealed. Make sure that you're living for him righteously and also confidently. Verse 16, if you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed. Praise God that you bear that name. Have you been ashamed of your suffering? And you thought that your suffering was because God wasn't pleased with you that you're suffering and it's because God is punishing you for something bad that you've done? Are you ashamed of the suffering in your life and saying, well, if only if I'd done something different, if only I had done this, if only I had been a perfect mother, if only I had been a perfect wife, and, and you're ashamed of the suffering that's come into your life, Peter says, don't be ashamed. You live for the glory of God and you can lift up your chin and you know that God's will includes suffering. That bad things happen to good people. And let me comfort you, nobody is a perfect wife. And nobody is a perfect mother. If our marriages turn out and our children turn out, it's the grace of God, isn't it? But you and I are to live for the glory of God, to reveal God's glory confidently. Don't be ashamed of suffering. And then you can suffer faithfully. Verse 19 so then those who suffer according to God's will 
should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Keep on keeping on. And when you're suffering, so often you pull back from service and you think, well, I can't serve the Lord now because my marriage is crumbling. I can't serve the Lord now. My children are rebelling. And Peter says, wait a minute. Those who suffer according to God's will should commit yourself to a faithful creator. He's going to bring you through and you put your suffering in his hand and you keep on doing good. Don't stop. You may have to adjust your ministry, but keep on serving the Lord. Continue to do good. Live for Jesus Christ when you're suffering. Live for his blessing. Live for his will. Live for his glory. And you can't go wrong. You can't miss. Then secondly, would you refocus your walk living for Jesus Christ when you serve? When you serve, where is your focus? When you go back home and now you're trained and you can read and study and teach God's Word and maybe you have an opportunity to do so and you become very good at it and people are coming up and saying, what a wonderful message and boy, that was so clear and you just blessed me and where is your focus? Peter says, when you serve, make sure your focus is on Jesus. Refocus your walk and from time to time we just need to adjust our focus, don't we? Making sure that our eyes are on Jesus so that we are serving Him and not ourselves. Are you serving the Lord? Are you a Christian and you're not serving the Lord? I don't believe they go together. I don't believe you can say you're a Christian and at the same time say you're not serving Him. If you have committed your life to Jesus Christ, He commands you to serve Him. And yes, we can do that within our homes, but I believe after our children reach a certain age, he expects us to do at least one thing for him outside the home. In what way are you serving him? When you serve Jesus, Peter says, refocus your walk and serve him with humility. And serve him with humility when you have a position of authority. And Peter begins by saying in chapter 5, to the elders among you I appeal as a fellow elder. Peter is in a position of authority. He has authority in his church. What position of authority do you hold? Peter says, when you hold a position of authority, serve with humility. And Peter himself was an example. He said, in his position of authority, he served with humility, and it showed in his passion. He says, serve the Lord, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Serving the Lord and teaching the scriptures is never to be a profession. It's a passion. And yes, you may go into full-time Christian service, but never get professional about it. And I'll watch that in my Christian ministry because when you speak so much and you're traveling around and you have a message you've given five times, the tendency is to become professional. And so I've asked the Lord, keep my heart on fire. I don't ever want to become professional about this. I want to be passionate. Peter never lost his passion in serving the Lord. Not only do we see his example in his passion, but we see his example in his possessions. He says, don't be greedy for money, but be eager to serve. You're not in the ministry for money. Actually, they couldn't pay me enough. <laughs> and I'm not on salary. I receive nothing from the ministry. Everything I make from tapes and honorariums goes right back into the ministry to our expenses. It enabled me to go to Poland and travel through Europe. It enabled me to go to Spain. In January, God willing, it will enable me to go to India and serve the Lord there. 
and it funds that, but I get nothing from it personally for myself. And Peter says he would use himself as an example. He did not serve the Lord for money. Our ministry is not a business. Our ministry is a ministry. And Peter was an example in the way he handled his possessions. And then you see him as an example in his position in verse 3. When you have a position of authority, don't lord it over those who are entrusted to you, but be an example to the flock. And Peter knows that he's a shepherd of the flock, but he's also a failure, and he's also a sinner, and he's also a sheep in need of a shepherd. If you're a shepherd, are you a shepherd? Don't ever forget that shepherds are also sheep under the good shepherd. And we don't lord it over those to whom he entrusts us. We simply shepherd them as we are being shepherded ourselves. And we do so with humility. And you can exercise authority with gentleness and with love and with firmness, but not lording it over someone and exercising your authority in an arrogant way. Serve the Lord with humility when you have a position of authority and also when you have vitality. And that's the way I'm applying verses 5 to 7 because he speaks now to young men. And I think Peter is saying to those of you who have lots of vitality, you are to serve with humility. And if you're a woman who has lots of energy and you're very capable and you're very organized and you've done a lot and you have a lot of experience and you know you can do the job, Peter says, watch out. Serve the Lord with humility. And sometimes that's very hard, especially when you're under the authority of someone who doesn't have as much energy, who's not as capable, who can't do it as good as you can do it. And Peter says, never mind if they're your elder and they're in authority over you. You serve with humility when you're a person who has great vitality. In fact, in verse 5, he says, clothe yourself with humility. And I think that Peter can't help but remember his experience in John chapter 13, the night that Jesus was betrayed. And the disciples come into the upper room and they're all arguing with each other, who is the greatest? Am I going to sit on his right hand? Am I going to sit on his left hand? And then somebody says, by the way, nobody's washing our feet. Well, Thomas, you wash our feet. I'm not going to wash anybody's feet. Peter, you wash our feet. I'm not going to wash anybody's feet. Andrew, you wash our feet. That's the slave's job. We're not going to wash somebody's feet. And Jesus quietly gets up and takes off his robe and puts the towel over his arm and picks up the basin. And he washes the feet of his disciples. And he comes to Peter and Peter says, Lord, you'll never wash my feet. And the Lord says, Peter, if you don't let me wash your feet, you can't be my disciple. He was giving Peter an object lesson that you and I are to clothe ourselves in the garment of a slave. We are to serve with humility. If Jesus could wash the feet of his disciples, I don't mean I'm going to go wash your feet. He was doing a job that was the job of a slave. And when we serve the Lord, there is no job that is beneath our dignity. And we serve with humility, willing to do anything, whether it's clean up after a sick child in the nursery or whether it's wash the dishes in the kitchen or sweep the floor after a fellowship dinner or or whether it's preach on Sunday morning, whatever the position is, we do it with humility. Clothe yourself with humility. In verse 7, cast yourself on him. And when you have many burdens, and young men have lots of burdens because a lot of times they're responsible for a young family, but young women have lots of responsibilities also. You're responsible for your family and perhaps a part-time job or a full-time job and then your area of responsibility in your church and maybe this Bible study that you're going to start and Jesus says, you cast your anxiety on me because I care about you. 
So you roll your burden over on him, and he'll take you up in his arms, and he'll carry you. God takes full responsibility for you when you put yourself on him like that. Serve the Lord with humility. As you're serving the Lord, where has your focus been? Have you gotten out of focus? Have you tended to serve with pride? Pride in your position of authority? Pride in the vitality that God has given you? Peter says, refocus your walk. Serve the Lord with humility. Secondly, serve the Lord with maturity. And it takes maturity to serve the Lord. And it may be right now you're going to grow up real quick. Because he says that you need to be mature in your understanding of three things. The first thing is this. You need to understand the fight that we're in. Verse 8, be self-controlled and alert. Be on guard, that actually says. Peter says, be on guard, be alert. You and I are in a war. We're in a fight. Don't misunderstand. The Christian life is not a bed of roses. The Christian life is a fight. And if you're going to give out God's word living in the last days, you're in for the fight of your life. It's a battle not with flesh and blood, but with principalities and powers that we can't see. And Paul says in Ephesians, we're in a battle, and it's a constant battle to maintain your joy, to rejoice while you're suffering persecution and problems and pressures and all of the things that come in the last days. You will have to fight to maintain your joy, and you're going to have to fight to maintain your witness. When you're treated unsympathetically at home and unlovingly by your church and unjustly at work and unfavorably by society, you're going to have to fight to maintain your witness. And you're going to have to fight to maintain the focus of your walk. The Christian life, dear friend, is a fight. Do you understand that? Serve the Lord with the maturity of a person who understands service is a battle. We're in a war. Understand the fight. Secondly, would you understand the foe? You and I have an enemy. And of course, it's the devil. And the devil is out to get you and your ministry. And Peter describes him this way. He describes him as a lion. And he says the lion is roaring. The only time I've heard a lion roar is in the zoo at feeding time. And he's hungry. And I would imagine that Peter has heard the lions roaring where? In the arena? As Christians are thrown to them? And they roar just as they leap on the Christian to tear them apart and devour them? When Satan roars, he's hungry, meaning that he is motivated to attack you and your ministry. And then it says he prowls around. He's restless. He is activated in his desire to attack you. And then it says he is seeking, doing his best to get you. He is dedicated to get you in your ministry. And he is devouring, meaning that he is going to seek to totally destroy you and your ministry. He's concentrated in his efforts. You see the kind of enemy you face. You face an enemy who is motivated, activated, dedicated, concentrated, on destroying you and your witness and your ministry. He knows he can't destroy your salvation. Once you are saved, you are saved. You are secure in Jesus Christ. But he will try to destroy your joy in Christ. He will try to destroy your ministry and your impact on other people. He'll try to destroy your witness and your walk. 
He'll try to destroy everything in your Christian life that would bear fruit. And he is dedicated, activated, concentrated, motivated to do that. And I'll tuck in one other thing from Revelation 20, which says he's going to one day be thrown into the lake of fire. He will one day be annihilated. You and I are facing a foe who knows he's defeated. And he's on a short leash. He's under the control of God himself. Nevertheless, God uses him in our life to strengthen us and as we learn to fight him, it strengthens us in our faith and strengthens us as we serve the Lord. And so Satan even serves God's purpose, but don't misunderstand. Satan is our foe. And although he is a defeated foe and God has him on a leash, he is still stronger than I am. Do you understand the foe? An activated, motivated, concentrated, dedicated Satan out to get you. Thirdly, would you understand your faith? Verse 9, resist the devil, stand firm in your faith, because you know your brothers and sisters throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings and the same kind of attack. Nowhere in Scripture are you and I told to flee the devil. Where would you flee? I can't think of a place I can go that he can't go. In fact, in Ephesians, it gives us the armor and it's all for the front side. We're not even supposed to turn around. We don't even put our backs to him. We face him. And when it says resist him, I believe that means go on the offense and stand firm, be defensive. And having done all, you stand against him by faith. Paul says you have two offensive weapons to use against Satan. One is prayer. One is God's word. It's as though God has handed you two guns. And he says you can go into this battle and you have two weapons, two guns, with which you can destroy the devil. And your two offensive weapons, the two guns that God has put into your hand to go against Satan, have firing pins. And the firing pin is faith. The first weapon is God's word, and I see Satan all over the place removing the firing pin. He's taking away faith in God's word. This isn't true, yea, hath God said. Are you sure all of that's true? I think there's some contradictions back here, and maybe there's some myths here, and... And this just contains God's word, and this part is true, and this part is an error. And Satan is just removing the firing pin from the very weapon he knows can destroy him. Hang on to your firing pin, your faith in God's word. And then our other weapon is prayer. And I see him removing the firing pin of our faith from prayer when we pray with no expectancy that God's going to answer. I mean, we're just going through our prayer, and it never occurs to us. A living person is listening who can move and and respond to what we're saying. And we can become so discouraged and so depressed because of the attack and the fight that we can even stop praying. Or maybe we get so busy we don't make time to pray and Satan has just removed the firing pin, taken away that offensive weapon by which he would be destroyed. Understand the necessity for your faith. Your faith is the firing pin. It will activate the weapons that will give you victory over your foe. Serve the Lord with maturity, a maturity to understand you're in a fight and you're facing a foe, but by your faith you can overcome. What is the victory that overcomes the world? Even our faith in Jesus Christ. When serving the Lord, would you refocus your walk? Have you been serving with an immaturity, an ignorance of the foe? An ignorance of the fight. Has the fight caught you 
by surprise. Grow up. And then lastly, would you serve the Lord with expectancy? Peter says, serve the Lord with expectancy. Serve the Lord. When you give out God's word, expect it to make an impact. Expect God to speak. Expect lives to be changed. Expect his glory to be revealed. Serve him with expectancy. This is real, folks. We're not playing games. Would you choose to refocus your walk by living for Jesus and by serving Jesus even while you live in the last days? You can hear Living in the Light with Ann Graham Lotz weekly and for ways to experience the God-filled life as you pursue your personal Bible study, go to anngramlotz.org. She'll help you get started with free resources you can use and share with others. Join us here each week for Living in the Light.